This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome back to the Outdoor Drive Podcast. I, we are live in Huntstock, and we are on the stage number two in the afternoon of Saturday. What a great, great afternoon. I'll tell you, this is a great place. This is your boy, East Coast Trev, and... This is Steve. Just Steve. And... The Madman Martyr. Well, no, speak into this microphone. Who cares about that thing? <laughs> it's a little... It, it's a little different, right? Because we couldn't plug in our regular set, so it's, it might be a little bit we're, crazy, we're playing right? offhand here. Yeah. And we got... Salter. Mr. Salter, Mr. Mike Salter, the news from your cruise brought to you here live. What a, what a great thing, right? What do you boys think of Huntstock? I think it's been good so far. I've had a lot of fun. It's good. I, dude, I, I don't know what the music is in my head. Can anyone else hear that? That's a DJ over yeah, there. You're, oh. getting, you're getting the background noise, man. Oh, it's beautiful. It's a live show. It's beautiful. It's a great place, <laughs> When's man. When's the last time we did a live show in front of people? Uh, never. Exactly. So, one more thing to get used to, one more... Uh, rope to get thrown in it's definitely a little bit different right i mean it's i don't i don't this is crazy this is definitely something pat has put together an amazing event there's tons of vendors here there's tons of people the podcasters the youtubers the big bucks crew everybody's kind of here it's kind of a great camaraderie of a group and something i think that the hunting community definitely needs i it's definitely different there's no gutter sales here that's a good thing i guess right i mean looking for some light bulbs that i couldn't find any you couldn't find any light bulbs Mm -hmm. you got a sham wow a what? A ShamWow? Are we in the right country for a ShamWow? <laughs> anyway, sorry, getting back on track. Yeah, well, who are you to get us back on track? I'm that guy, dude. That's what the problem. You He's trying to look at me. He's, I mean, what, what is the world that's going on here? No, nah, we can't thank everybody else who, who has come out and supported us here at Huntstock. It's a great event. It's a first-year thing. They got a little bit of everything, and I, I'm really looking forward to the growth here. I really am. I mean... It's it's definitely a great great place and I'm looking forward to see we still got one more day you know it's it's been fun we've met a ton of new people a ton of uh, past supporters and listeners and it's it's a great event man what do you guys think of it well, it's it's always astounding when you show up to a place like this a new venue a new place a new event and you end up having a lot of people that 
you haven't put a name to a face, you haven't shaken hands, right? And they come by the booth, and you know they can identify you, and then you feel bad because you can't identify them, right? You put two and two together, and it's like we've been talking for two years, right? So it, it's a great venue to be up here on the, the the northeastern end of things, whereas we've been real focused in the Midwest, a lot in the central part of the country, uh, along the coast, but we've never been in physical presence up here the way that we want to be so it, it's nice making contact and getting in touch with so many different people absolutely with with you know every you know the the group of people that we've built as you know a family into the outdoor family it's 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 been a it's definitely a blessing you know it's it's definitely a blessing and definitely like you said to be in different parts of the coast but well before we get off track because i know that's what's going to happen because we normally do that and we go down rabbit holes and things get crazy right why don't we do something and we'll do the news for your cruise we're going to do that thing completely and utterly live bringing you the news for the cruise is our good buddy mike salter take it away mike we'll kick right into it i've got some fishing stuff some hunting stuff and something that you know, each of you might be able to chime in on a little bit. So, uh, and you know, for any of you that haven't gone out and joined the Outdoor Drive group on Facebook, uh, get over there and do that because I put a post out and only one person sent in any news. I was looking for stuff for New England. News? Everyone here is New England. You want nudes, bro? Nudes? nudes. Your wife's yes. over there, bro. Yeah. Why are you asking Jake, for nudes already? Jake, Jake in the front needs, row. He needs, he's looking for nudes. He needs these nudes, bro. You got nudes for him? He said everyone's going to get nudes later. Apparently, he's going to lay out on the rug here and, yeah. and do his show. He wants show. your Snapchat. <laughs> he wants your Snapchat. <laughs> but, no, so, uh, you know, send everything in you got, like, especially here. I was looking for a lot of stuff New England-centric. You know, most of the groups here are based out of New England for hunting. So uh, I was able to find a couple of things fishing-related, really black, relate back to New England and some of the stuff going on in the turkey woods. So uh, first thing I found, you know, one of the things we've been dealing with a lot here in New England on the East Coast is uh, striper regulations. It's huge, and man. a lot to do with the slot limit. Well, now the West Coast has taken a page out of our book. Uh, California is actually proposing a new slot limit for 18 to 30 inches. 18 uh, to 30? 18 to 30, but it's only on anadromous water, so it's only on those runs. It's not applied to because they have landlocks on their lakes and reservoirs up there, and they also it's not applying to open water. So for like the charter guys... That slot wouldn't apply. See, where I kind of, I agree with it, right? Because those, do you want us to chime in on this or are we? I want you to oh, chime okay. in. Right, you just no, talked so. about it the other day about how, like, you've seen some of the best fishing in years. It is. It's, it's absolutely incredible. Yeah. I think that the DEM, DEC, DEP has done an amazing job in New England when it comes to striped bass as far as that all goes. Because that slot limit is a huge thing. And we're already starting to see a huge incline in these schools. Like, there's been talk all up and down the coast about it mm -hmm. and, that, and how important it is to have that slot limit. Those fish that are 35 inches and plus, those are our breeding fish. Those they're at their sexual maturity of 12 to 15 years old and and when you're killing those fish 200,000 eggs are dying every time and you know everybody as an older person they want you know the older generation wanted to kill all these giant fish well now you're killing hundreds of thousands of fish while you're while you're doing that right and killing those big fish let those things go they don't taste good anyways we want those smaller fish the younger fish um and yeah you're still killing those eggs but at least you want to put meat in the freezer it's a good time to do it and i think that slot limit has definitely made something great in the waters and we're already seeing the repercussions of it in three years 
Right, and you know, it's nice to see the West Coast taking a page out of our book for once. I agree. You know, it's it's something that we've seen success with here, and they're they're uh, they actually have a survey open on it um, for people to voice their opinion on it. So, fish and wildlife out there is is encouraging people to take that survey. They're holding a public hearing on it on the 24th of this month. Uh, to get public's input on that slot so i mean who knows i mean one of the things that came out of those public hearings here on the east coast is they were they were looking at like different slot limits they were looking at a gap in the slots so and what we got here pretty much on the east coast came out of all that public input where we've got that pretty much 28 to 35 inch slot so you could see some adjustment to that on the west coast we, based on public input. we were at the point at the beginning of the 2022 season and almost closing down the season. Our right. season almost closed. I mean, there was there was webinars and all kinds of stuff that we had gone to that literally were going to close those seasons for us. And you would have killed an entire, you know, lifestyle, I guess, at that point. And it, it would have been ugly. Honestly, would have been ugly. Right. So, uh, another one, you know, back to, out to Iowa, you know, Midwest, not super relevant here, but there's a couple new um, legislative actions that took place this year that established new... Um, hunting licenses for veterans uh, and Steve you can chime in on this I, yeah there's one of them is for disabled veterans it's a lifetime trout fishing license uh, the other ones that are available are an armed forces uh, fishing license and an armed forces fishing and hunting license um, right now it's open for public input on those as far as the the cost of those licenses my personal opinion they should be free um, but they are looking at right now $63 for the lifetime trout license, which for anyone that's, you know, younger, I mean, it's a huge benefit. It's a one-time fee and you get to fish for the rest right. of your life. Yeah. And then for the armed forces hunting and fishing licenses, the combo and just the fishing, it's $5 a year. And wow. I think that's great. I mean, considering, and this, these are for residents only in the state of Iowa. Um, but it's a step in the right direction. So well, we're we're starting to see a big trend of this. I know Virginia kind of came out of the blue this year. It used to be uh, disabled veterans only, 70% or above. And this year they went through and changed their legislation, and any disabled veteran can get a lifetime license at a significantly discount price. So that what they did is bracketed it. So your your zero to 30% disability will pay X. Your uh, 30 to 60 pays X, your 60 to 100 pays X, which is next to nothing. If you're 100%, you don't pay, you just get it. Is that yearly or lifetime? That's lifetime. Nice. You pay once you're done, and then uh, you only have to buy special permits. You know, your Forest Service access, your trout stamps, your duck stamps, but your license, which includes your, your deer, bear, turkey, you're good. And there's some states that also, they, they allow you to do, um, I lost my train of thought as always, um, you can get in on certain draws and stuff yeah. by so being a disabled veteran. Idaho is a great example, and, and uh, we utilize that if we could ever pull the tag and make it work. Is uh, They have a disabled veteran's license for even out-of-staters, and it's if you want to go hunt Idaho and you're a disabled vet, it, it's worth every minute. I mean, for your license, mule deer and elk, I think cost me $78 a year. Right. And... Uh, the way they do it is you have to reach out to them you provide your documentation like you would with anything like that and they'll send you your uh, sportsman's id for the state That's and then you can apply for special hunts that are specifically for disabled veterans you know they'll give x tags out of each unit to just disabled vets and then they have where you can apply for the non-disabled at the veteran rate 
for any other units or leftover tags or whatever they have going on and, and you still just pay that veteran rate that's awesome so that's, it, i think a, that's what's needed across the board yeah, it, it's a trend that's picking up across i think the it's country. great especially for somebody that served for this country you know they they deserve that honestly yeah there's a lot of states doing specific veteran hunts too that don't require permits or tags and they're allowing clubs to participate yep. in them we've seen that a couple new york times is too. a big one that does that right state new york does that so which is great to see that getting getting more steam for sure the country so and then one thing that I, I know that we see a lot of here in new england it's been gaining a lot of popularity is being is online check-in right of deer uh, michigan piloted this last year it wasn't required but they had seven thousand people voluntarily uh submit through their their new pilot system uh, for electronically checking in deer and this year they're making that mandatory for all hunters so that's a big change there um Part of it is they've seen a steep decline in the last few decades uh, of hunter participation in hunter surveys. And I, I, you know, those are something that, that our biologists in all these states rely on heavily. They used to have 70% of hunters respond to those hunter surveys, and they're now they're consistently below 40%. So this is a way for them to gain enough biological information to inform decisions on tags and seasons. And uh, so for this year in Michigan, it's going to be mandatory that you check in any deer harvest within 72 hours. Do you, do you guys agree with that, though? Like, I, the, the electronic thing, I'm kind of one way or the other on that. I think I, I think it's kind of a good thing, but kind of a bad <clears> thing. And I think I think that it makes honest people criminals. And it, I think that's, that's one of my biggest fears where they, you know, they will, A, you know, because they're given 24 hours to, to check that deer in, especially here. Like, this I mean, one's in Connecticut. 72. Yeah, it's, and how, do you, well, how many well, times you go and if, forget about that? If you think that? about it, though. I mean, who's going to voluntarily go in and check a tag that they didn't kill something? Right. You know, so then it's, it's a matter if you're, like you said, an honest person, yeah, you're, you're probably going to go about your way because it's a new way to do it and you don't want to get in trouble. But, I mean, let's face it. Well, no, not even that. But what if, what if they forget to check it in? Now that makes them a criminal because they forgot to check in that deer in that 24-hour period and then if they get caught up then now oh, they're legally poaching but, it and but then it keeps it keeps honest people honest but it's right and, and they're they're going to run into that hiccup you're going to run into it anywhere we saw it in Virginia but for the most part and this is that honest people being honest type thing is you're going to follow the regulations when you're hunting or at least you should be and if you're out there you do it right you know your weapons laws you're following the weapons laws your your uh, harvest laws you're following the harvest laws the check law is just a new law that you got to implement so if they tell you you can't load your gun until you're across the bar ditch you're, you're not going to load your gun until you're across the bar ditch they say you got to check it in within 72 hours if you follow the laws and the regs and you do the best yeah, you can to be a good sportsman if they forget now they're criminals but that's on them for forgetting what's the difference of you loading your car when you're not supposed to have loaded right you know you're a criminal so I, it's and then a regulation. It keeps, it keeps the poaching rates high too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's where the, <laughs> it keeps those people. And it, I mean, my kind of thought of it as too, like Connecticut, right? They have a ton of deer, right? And they're always they're always trying to kill more and this, that, and the other thing. I think that they, what, I mean, I know it's kind of crazy to say, but I think they did it on purpose so that they're kind of knocking down deer and not and not having to pass it through the laws. And then now they're they're able to kill a ton more deer without having to check them in, right? The, the poachers are just going to kill them, you right. know? Connecticut, I mean, poachers are going to kill. What do you do? What? Poachers are going to kill. Yeah, what are you going to do? I know. But now there's an easier way to get rid of it. I don't know. This is a crazy thing. Do you got more on the news for crews, buddy? Yeah. Um, turkey decline. So this is something we've been hearing a lot about across the country. Is this really a good thing to go on to? Yeah. Okay. Actually, because there's some hard data now. All right. Um, 
So a lot of people have seen there's a, there's a lot of stuff going on in you know, our southeastern states um, in regards to turkey research, turkey poult produ productivity, habitat use. Um, even here in New England, I've heard a lot of people saying they've seen a, a serious decline in recruitment of turkeys, um, even when they're hunting, seeing mature birds. Uh, two states, Oklahoma and Alabama, have completed the first year of studies um, and some pretty staggering results. Um, for Oklahoma, we have, uh, they had fitted 28 hen turkeys with GPS or VHS radio trackers. Uh, predators killed seven of those hens during the mating season. And of the 21 remaining, only nine of those were documented to have attempted a first nest, all of which failed. Uh, of those, uh, hens seven attempted a second nest and by, by july 1st of this year only four remained active predators took the eggs of one nest two nests failed due to the predators killing the hens and one nest of four eggs saw a successful hatch of three poults those poults were then uh tagged with with radio transmitters within a day and none of them survived wow. so they had zero productivity for 2022 um, mostly due to predation of the hens the nests and the poults um, one of the poults was undetermined death. Uh, one of them was from a ma uh, mammal predator, and the other one, the radio tracker was actually found in a cottonmouth. Wow. So we're seeing a lot Jeez. of predation from from different avenues here. Do you think it's hard for the hens to get away from predators when they got that bling around their neck? Though? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's kind of true. Walking around looking like Flavor Flav. <laughs> right. My that, thing with this too, and the, the trapping numbers are down. So right. like mm. guys aren't trapping as much. They're not, you know, the raccoons, those those egg those egg stealers, the opossums, raccoons. There's not a lot of trappers anymore because the the deduction and price of pelts and stuff. So these guys aren't putting that predata the predation work in anymore. Yeah, they've actually seen there's some correlation to those numbers from dating back to like the 30s with, you know, amount of trappers and the trapping price and everything. And now to, compared to today um, that they're using to do that. And I know this has gotten a lot of steam because the hunting public had a bunch of stuff on funding um, different programs across the state, which is across the country, which is good. Um, but we're seeing this is now consistent across the U.S. We're seeing multiple states now that are seeing severe declines. They're trying to figure out. A lot of it with, with habitat use to see if it's a habitat issue, but everything seems to be coming back to predation at this point and coming back to the trapping. And it's kind of crazy is that, like, you know, in the past couple of weeks, we're seeing a lot of hens with a lot of poults, which is more than normal. And we had a pretty dry spring, so now we're, you know, you're seeing pictures guys sending you messages with more more turkey poults and this, that, and the other thing. And last year, I mean, I don't know how many times I would get pictures of guys with one poult or two poults, you know what I'm saying? And they, they do their thing, but... The, it's just it's just great. I'm I'm very, and like for us for our state, so Connecticut, you can shoot five turkeys. That's stupid. And that that you know you start adding predation, <laughs> and then you start adding people to that. Now I mean I just I don't know. I'm totally against it. Turkey hunting is a tough one for me. And Alabama did a similar study um, this year. You know they had 18 out of 20 hens survive. Um, 15 hens attempted a nest. Two only two hens successfully hatched at least one poult. Uh, all the other nests failed, and none of those poults survived. So wow. two states, and they are saying this is just one year. Uh, it could be completely different next year. But we're seeing these finally start to pop up and get some funding. And for first year, seeing that kind of mortality is just a little bit alarming, not just for these southern states, but for kind of the trend we're seeing up here too. Yeah, it all tends to bleed over. They start noticing it down south, and it tends to work its way up north. 
Yeah, I mean, it's across the board when it yeah. comes to those. For the turkeys, I mean, you hear it from everybody. All of our friends across the whole entire country are saying the same thing when it comes to turkeys and, and the deduction of population. And, and and you have to remember, those are states you can only shoot one or two in. Right. Could you imagine a state that has more than that? Yeah. Right. Well, it's those, just nuts. Those boys in Alabama love their turkeys. So. Mississippi's another one, yeah. dude. Yeah. So they'll do something to, to take it out. And the last one's for you. It's, oh, great. Uh, yeah, let's do that. Tuna. Uh, bluefin tuna. They actually uh, just came out with a new paper. They found that off the east coast here um, in the... I can't remember what sea it is, but it's here in the Atlantic. It's 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 the Slope Sea. It's between the Continental Shelf and the Gulf Stream. Uh, they actually found reproduction that matches um, the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, they're finding larval bluefin tuna. They're finding them at growth rates similar to uh, the Gulf and similar to the Mediterranean Sea. So it looks like we actually have a nursery for those big bluefin tuna here, which right off of our our own our own shores which they're hoping is going to turn into some better information and research opportunities to to better that fishery for the commercial and the wreck which guys. is wild because in, in all honesty i mean <clears throat> if you guys don't know i mean i'll break it down real quick i won't get too crazy into it but the bluefin tuna comes from across the pond that's where that's where they breed from and they come over here to feed throughout the season to fill up that's where they get fat and then they then go home to breed it. You know what I'm saying? So they have a migration, but it's across Greenland, Iceland, and it comes over here. Apparently some aren't making it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, it's just it's just nuts well, to just, know that there's a, a spawning ground here. Based on the strange situation that your guys' water has been seeing in the life, I it's mean, nuts. That, that all feeds it's, into the same trend. It's all on bait, right? So it's all it's all where, where bait comes into the into those areas and if the waters the water clarity and oxidation is there and with the bait fish then i mean we're seeing all kinds of crazy stuff i mean we're seeing white marlin in close we're seeing bluefin tuna sharks sharks had started i mean we're killing sharks f three four five miles off of land right the, i mean big threshers three four hundred pounders uh, absolutely insanity i caught two weeks ago a great white within right. a half a mile of land i mean this is nuts and guys like oh you know, we had talked to the to the great white biologist after we had caught that one to kind of get a little bit of research on it. And he was saying on the beaches of Montauk, within one mile of the beaches of Montauk, in the past five years, he's caught 18 great whites and tagged them. I mean, it's not far. And these things are moving into all different areas. They're going to be up in the bay on you guys soon. I mean, they virtually already are, bud. I mean, <laughs> you're seeing, literally. You're seeing guys reeling in stripers that are half eaten by Makos at this point. I and mean, that's... That's, I mean, that's a, a lot of it is the brown sharks, is dusky sharks, because we're seeing a, a huge number of them also. Um, the Makos, I, I haven't heard of anything close, because those are more, they, they tend to stay a little bit further out. We're getting the threshers in real close, and the brown sharks, um, and now great whites. I mean, great whites, everyone thinks of Cape Cod when it comes to great whites, but we have so many locally to the shores of Connecticut, Rhode Island. I mean, it's, it's nuts. It's absolutely nuts. And it's good to see. I mean, it's definitely a different, it's going to be a big huge change in the next couple of years but it's wild it's something i never thought i would see in my lifetime honestly and it's it's just all about the water and it's all about bait i mean that's really all it is so it's just nuts that was a great news for your cruise man i'm glad we got to chime in on it we don't get to do that very often if you if you guys have anything if you're looking stuff on social media send it to me uh facebook instagram through these guys through the outdoor drive uh facebook group get a hold of us send it along so try to get news out there uh, you know try to do a lot of new england stuff but all across the country and uh anything you got be welcome yeah 
So what are you guys looking forward to for you guys for the 2022 season? You got anything big plans, anything kind of going on? You got some bucks you're after, looking after, nope, seeing? No, nope. nah, I didn't think nothing. that was. I knew that crew was not going to let that go. <laughs> Damn it. Ain't happening. You I'm guys like, are killing me. I might me. take the flaw off this year. Yeah? What is the reason for that? Let them grow. Just let them grow? <laughs> yeah. You mean you're not going to kill today's trophies tomorrow? Nah. Tomorrow's trophies I mean, tomorrow's trophies. Yeah, same thing, right? No? No? Well, I was looking forward to joining the Spoon and Crockett Club. Yeah, well, these things happen. Hey, listen, I'm not better than that. Yeah, I'm listen. trying to fill the freezer. If I'll, I'm hunting Vermont this year. I, yeah. I go every year for rifle. If that spike steps out in front of me, because he's legal now, it's going to happen. I got four, oh, day, so four they, days They on. changed it? They, I was going to say they changed it. They changed that uh, last year or the year before, and it's for central Vermont. It's right up right up the gut. Um, there's a lot of a lot of areas that still have the antler point restrictions, but the zone that we're in doesn't. Okay. So, um, uh, it, if I see Spike with three inches or better, he he's gonna eat it. it uh, <laughs> <laughs> we we go up there to hunt camp. We've been doing it for years, and uh, you know it's that is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> so have you done anything in the off season that's kind of set yourself up to be successful for this upcoming season? Me or something different. Did you go above and beyond to do something a little bit different to kind of make yourself successful for this coming up season? Uh, I'll be putting in a, a late season food plot up in Vermont, hopefully next weekend when we go up. So okay. Hoping to see what that does in the area that we have and see what comes in. And we've never really tried it. We tried it a little bit with a throw and go, um, just screwing around. But we're actually going to try to put something in the ground this year, a small plot. So um, going to see how that works up there. Uh, and see if it's something that we can do in the future or if we can make some changes, try, try sure. to keep the deer on that side. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, and Trev, you kind of dug into that whole path a little bit deeper this year. A little well. bit different than normal. Like, so like where where I'm at is on a riverbed and obviously I can't get any type of machine in there. So I did a, I, it was I the most- advice and then felt sorry uh, for it a, you. <laughs> it was miserable, man. I mean, honestly, I, I'm hoping it's successful. I have some really good bucks in there. Hopefully they stick around. I, I mean, if we are, we're blessed for it, but I, setting up let me see, food plots without machinery is probably the most miserable thing ever. I mean, dude, I went through two weed whackers trying to cultivate the land. Like it was nuts. <laughs> right. And I had messed with it before, but I don't know. We'll see what happens. The clover grew. I haven't been in there. I'm going to get in there hopefully this week. Hopefully so we get some rain and, and be able to put in some, you know, turnips, brassicas, a little, something a little bit different and, and try and see if it, we can keep it successful all the way through. I mean, if not, if if not, the rain's not there, I'll just keep the clover all the way through and hopefully that, that, that oh, does yeah. what I need it to do. It'll but work. but I, I got a feeling if you just get some greens thrown over, yeah, you'll be all right. Yeah. That, that's good enough soil. I'm hoping. There. Mardik, what did you do a little bit different this season than normal? Because I know you kind of went a little bit crazy. Yeah, I try to do a little bit more every year. So, <clears throat> excuse me. This year, uh, I put, I got two mics on my face yeah. here. <laughs> well, what is, do you expect? Um, <laughs> We're live podcast, What was more important here? Both. Uh, um, I definitely put way, way more miles in this postseason scouting and shed hunting. Um, I found more. This is my best year finding sheds which i was excited about um i think i scooped like 11 which which might not be a lot to most but to me that was a big deal um i was able to locate it was a buck i was after last year that i thought was dead he disappeared on trail camera end of october i had rumors that someone had shot a big buck in that area at the same time so i thought he was dead but i ended up finding a shed uh in march 
and I, so I know he's alive, and that actually gave me um, enough of a uh, urge to. I, I knocked on the neighbor's property, so I actually picked up another piece of private specifically for that buck. So, <clears throat> excuse me, it's a really good piece of property. It's really thick. It's all bedding. Uh, access is really, really, really hard, but it's it's definitely a key piece that I'm going to be able to hunt. So I took it a step farther and went down the road and asked another neighbor for permission just for access. So I was actually slowly but surely I'm piecing the whole thing together by getting access to hunt and then getting access to access the property to to make the whole game plan come together. So we'll see if it works out or not. But you know. It's. I think it's going to be successful. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 just that game of chess as we all play, Little and you're just you're just trying puzzle, to add yeah. that that second piece into it, the third piece to make it all right. one big whole circle. Right. And I think, I, I, it's it's nice to watch the journey and see what happens. Right. I'm, I'm exci excited to see what now happens. I just need him to show up. I know yeah. he's alive, but I, I haven't gotten a picture of him yet. So I think he's I think he's there. He's just a couple miles down the road for the summer. He's, he'll show up for the fall. Just Steve, you you did some big things this this off season and to kind of get yourself preparated. I mean, on the farm and everything like that. Why don't you take us a little bit through that? And it, it's more of a continuance of what we started the end of last year. Uh, we expanded the farm down there by 30 acres, and 17 acres of it is a soybean field. So we went through and uh, we we got the first planting of soybeans in there that they've ever had, and. It's coming up phenomenal. Uh, the farmer's done a great job that we leased it out to. So for the first time, we have an adequate food source on the property because it's just big southern pines. Overgrown, never been cut, never been thin. Uh, swampy creek down the middle of it, which makes for great bedding. But, you know, if it, you got bed, you have nothing else in habitat. There's no food. There's no realistic cover. There's no reason to keep them there during daylight. You know, so we'll get roamers during the fall. So we got the soybeans put in. We cleared a three-acre patch behind it and left just a couple hardwood in there, you know, some uh, mass-producing trees. We got a nice, real thick summer blend planted in there in the spring, and it came up well beyond expectation. I mean, we had some plant, we had some sorghum, we had some sunflowers and stuff. We had eight-foot walls at some places and uh, made it back down last weekend and was able to take the brush hog and knock off about an acre and a half of it and get it sprayed so we can get back down next weekend and we'll get our fall plots and everything established there. So it'll be a good feeder point coming into that food plot and uh, once the timber gets the thinning done and we get all that done, next year we'll be able to focus on the bedding and the cover, uh, some of that new growth generation coming back up. And I think it's, it's you've seen some of the deer, I mean, yeah. there's some spectacular genetics in there, but now we're giving them a reason to be there. and. Uh, it, like I keep telling everybody, it, it's the first year of yeah, what I consider a three-year plan to make it what we want it to be. I don't think so. that I think that a lot of people don't realize when they go to do habitat improvement on any type of property that it's it's not an instant gratification type oh, of no, thing. No, it's three, five, seven years yeah, into you, it where you're starting to see that success start you to get that foundation. To show up. You get the basic pieces put in place. And then you start implementing, you know, how do you get your edge and your feathering and how do you create these corridors? Because, I mean, it's, it's flat with exclusion to the one dip where the swamp bottom is. You know, so we can't play terrain. You know, we're not working trails. They just come and go as right. they bounce between fields. And it's developing it in a way that we want to draw everything to stay on the property. You know, so when the deer wake up, they're on us going out to people. Right. Whereas everybody gets into the mindset when you do this to bring 
things in. The goal is to get them living there so when they stand up at four o'clock and start going to their night source where they're gonna go breed, that's you. Right. You can be in the stand and catch them in that early day moving out. And uh, that, that's the way I've kind of built this plan out. And that's why it's, it, it's complicated. It's not cheap. Uh, I mean, it's already brought two new tractors into the books that really didn't want to do, but my God, I'm glad we did. But it's, it's, such, a, it's, it's such a crazy difference from what you're doing now to what you were doing before public land hunting right. and doing that like you know like me Mardik, uh and and Mike Mike does a little bit more private than public but yep. it it's crazy because when you when you're public land hunting you don't have that that opportunity to be able to do something like right. that you're not able to do habitat improvement you're trying to work off the basis of what is already there to make yourself successful to try and kill a deer yeah, right it's, it's kind of a i think of it as my own shift on perspective because you got the trend right now that you know if you if you're not hunting public you're not shit. Which if you're not e-biking in ten yeah. miles you're not you're you not know, cool. That, that's the and yeah it's fun. I love hunting public and you've seen my public. Right. It's not easy. It's rough. So I figured you know I can hunt the public close to home and whatnot. But I've got the opportunity that everyone wishes they had their entire life. You know I've got a hundred acres that I have a free for all on. Right. Do what you want. Build it how you want. You know, there's no population around there, and it is a prime location for giant swamp deer. So, why well, instead of you know spending 15 grand to go out of state and do multiple hunts, I'm taking that money and dumping it into the property, so that I have okay, I've got a place I can grow deer and consistently kill nice deer, while on the weekdays I can bump over and hit public in the afternoon or creep in somewhere before work. Right. You know, and, and have that mix because, you know. What's wrong with having private land, especially if you can make it what you want? You know, Which is very important. I just, mean, it's it's, yeah. it's just a different world. Well, and, and the other side, and a lot of people don't realize, is when you go out there and you build that, you almost have more fun with the plan and then the, the each step you take and the progression and seeing that success. That gets you just as excited as seeing the deer. Right. You know, getting pictures of nice bucks coming in, get your blood going, but when you go... He's coming into something that I just put four years of my life into making a reason for him to come into. I did something right. Right. You know, that's as much fun as shooting them. Oh, absolutely. I totally agree 100%. I mean, you've kind of been through kind of some of that too, Mardik, with building that, you know, your habitat on your property and kind of what it's become. Yeah, and I agree with what Steven said 100%. Food plots are cool. Attracting them to come to you is cool. It's, it's all over the internet and stuff, but... You want them there in the daylight, and you can build a food plot. They're going to show up at 11 o'clock at night. But <clears throat> excuse me. But if you can get them there in the daytime, that's shooting hours. You, you need the bedding, you need the cover, and all that stuff. Well, and, and the easiest way to put it, and I kind of laugh. And growing up, it never really dawned on me. But you get there and you wait for something to come into your field at last light, hoping for that last light deer to come in, and either it does or it doesn't. But why would you want to get excited about that when you know I could sit here and have a potential four hours if that thing may pop up? Right. Yeah. It, it gives you that daylight buck. I don't care where that deer goes when the sun goes down. It means nothing to me. I need to know where he is then. So let's give him a place to be. And, that, and you know, when it comes to public, for somebody that hunts public, one of the things that 
I, I don't know if this is going to work or not, but it's something that I was trying to do is this whole vine scrape thing. Right. In, in hub areas where getting those deer that are coming off of bedding into those hub areas and, and hitting those big scrapes, those big communal scrapes, and trying to get them daylighting so that when they're coming off, that's the first thing that they hit that time of year, yeah, that they, October, they November time. which way are we going. Did yeah. you do the vine scrapes all in public? Yeah, oh yeah. Have you gotten pictures of other hunters? No, no other hunters. It's good. Yeah, and it, it's... It was one of those things that I mean, and and literally, a lot of these guys are using glands, right? So they're all they're all using glands, and I did no glands, and I was waiting for glands to show up, and I never ended up. They never ended up coming in. So I said, you know what? I'm gonna go. Well, they came in, but it was after the time that it was allowed, or, or allotted to it be able to go out and out. do that. Yeah, right. So I went up there and I made, I made <laughs> Jake. He's killing me back there. Uh, I made these scrapes with the vines inside of them but i didn't put any type of gland on them and overnight literally overnight i had small does fawns and then soon after bucks showing up on these scrapes that i made with this vine and hitting them with you know w with their orbital gland and literally i mean it's constant every single day i get pictures on this thing and it's just putting them in the right areas those those corridors where you know that those deer are constantly traveling and coming down into these hub areas and they're hitting this thing constantly and it's nuts dude it's absolutely i didn't do a thing i literally took a two inch vine cut it to about six to eight feet and i set it up so that the bottom of it was at four feet so that in them being such curious animals literally coming in and bumping it constantly constantly it's every day that i get pictures whether it's a fawn whether it's a big buck it didn't matter they constantly are hitting it so you're doing almost virtually the same thing that you guys are trying to do on public on private land but you're doing it on public and it's fun man it's it's something a little bit different because i can't go and do well and it, it's a cool experiment because that's something you may do and be like dude that worked incredible that I could implement on my place, that you could implement at anywhere. this place. You can implement you know? it anywhere. And, and I go, how did you do this? Why did you do this? What worked best? Did you use scent? Did you not use scent? You know, what times? How did you prevent it? Like we did the whole walkthrough on the show a couple episodes back. But when you do that and you physically see it, you can be like, no, I had tests. That worked. Right. I did this here on public. Just went for it. It worked. Hey, maybe I'll try that over on my spot. But let's do a tree this year and see what it does. There's a ton of different ways to, to implement it, and you can definitely get them to come in there. And I'm still learning, man. This is a first-year thing. I am I am no expert by any means. Just listening to the couple people that we've done podcasts with and learning and understanding how it actually works. Right. And it, it really has, in my mind, has been good. We'll see what happens come October or November. That's what I'm very curious at. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But it's something that, hey, listen, it kept my my – you know it kept my attention throughout the off season i started this thing in june and i'm getting giant pictures of great deer all the way through no you're and so not it's cool to see no you're not i don't care i mean it is what it is i mean i don't know if they're gonna stick i don't know if they are or they're not but it's it's definitely it's been fun it's definitely been a, a fun battle so i'm 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 looking forward to see what it turns into if i can kill a deer on one of these scrapes because everyone talks about scrape hunting Sometimes you don't have to kill him on the scrape. No, but, but you got to believe it. that if he's cruising anywhere in the area, he's going to stick his nose in it at some point. You're going to get that picture and know he's there. Right. You might kill him 100 yards away. Well, I'm hoping that the season works out for all of us and all the different walks of life that we put forth into the deer woods, whether it's, you know, hunting private land, whether it's hunting public land, whether it's whatever the case may be. I'm really looking forward to seeing our journey and what everybody kind of does. We all do it a little bit differently. Oh, absolutely. It's, it, 
it's going to be a fun season. It is going to be I a mean, fun season. The first season in a couple years that we've come back to just doing what we do, you know, get back to the basics, take a break from the heavy traveling, and just just sit back and enjoy a season with no pressure. That was one of my kind of, you know, as the season had progressively gone on, like last season, where I'd be away in a different state and oh, the yeah, cameras were going the off at home. and you're putting so much focus in. Well, you did the same thing too and traveling and having that problem. And did you have something like that happen? <laughs> yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> Once we got service up in Vermont, and I, I'm getting all the pictures coming through going, I should have stayed home. And this season, this season we decided that we're going to stay in our home ranges. You know, things we're going to stay, like Steven has built the farm and what he's going to end up doing. I'm still going to travel, but not, like yeah, bear season, sick season, stuff like that. Yeah, and, you know, and Pennsylvania, North Carolina, and it's just not. We're not doing the exotic. No, not going no Midwest because you're trying to chase big deer in the Midwest and you're spoiling the things that you built back home. Right. You know, and it's it's definitely tough, and especially to be there. I mean, in the rut. I mean, come on. You you should be rut at home where you're putting all this time and effort into yeah, it. Unless unless buck tags are filled before the rut. Well, well that's I'm, a good possibility too. I'm getting in the but, truck and going somewhere. Yeah. Well, of course. Yeah. Well, guys, I do want to do one thing, obviously, because there are some new listeners in the crowd and new listeners maybe at home that have now subscribed to us after being in Huntstock. But we're going to do something that we always do. Are you dreading it over there, Steve? No, go ahead. I don't like the, <laughs> I don't like the face I look. Know. Well, what do you think? Oh, well, we'll start with Steve, Mr. Madman Marnik. What drives you outdoors, homie? Catch me outside. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. How about you, Salter? What drives you outdoors, man? Family and friends. Yeah. Like, you like that camaraderie, that northern woods camaraderie, huh? Not even that. Even back home. Um, you know, I grew up doing this stuff with my dad, my grandfather, my uncle. Now my son's, you know, he wants to go out and shoot with me. He sees a turkey. He's like, Dad, can we go shoot it? Um, so just family and friends, enjoying it with family and friends. Like, if I didn't have family and friends that enjoy doing this stuff, I, I can't say that I'd be doing it. Right. To be honest. So. Yep. Steve, what about you, buddy? Uh, it's it's so many different things all at once and it, it changes as you go uh, you end up getting that satisfaction of building a farm for that year uh, it's the satisfaction of meeting so many great new people out here and just having a good time the, the stories we've heard and been able to share and the pictures and you know the nights around the fire you know it, it's a, just a balance of testing yourself accomplishments camaraderie and, and of course food you know yeah. you can't food you can't beat it right so right now in the way i'm feeling these days that that's really what it is is just go out and get that next piece of the puzzle i think something and i haven't done one of these in a while because obviously i try and snake out of them i know and <laughs> you wasn't gonna get out of it yeah, today i can tell you that right so i decided fuck it i'll just do it right so i think one of the things that drives me outdoors and something that i've learned in the past couple of years in doing podcasting and and, and growing my presence in the outdoor world is it's the people around us. It's the listeners. It's the supporters. It's the new faces. It's the people in deer camp. All those people and being able to shake hands and spend time with those people and the smiles on people's faces when they are successful is so important to me and what keeps me kind of going because last year we kind of lost sight of that. And I think in trying to kill big bucks and it wasn't about the camaraderie. That shit totally changed. And this year is that year that we're going back to the roots and doing what we're supposed to be fucking doing. And it's, it's, it's what's empowering me to keep moving on. It's not even about driving me. It's empowering me to keep moving on. So I'm looking forward to the season and, 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 and doing that and, and really spending time with a lot of good folks and having fun and shaking hands and smiling, honestly. 
Definitely. That's what drives me outdoors. Yeah, well, I would ask where to find you guys, but in this case, I'll tell you guys, if you have more questions, want to visit, hang out, uh, just stop down by the booth. We're more than happy to talk, let you all in on whatever not secrets we have because let's face it we really don't great have giveaways but, yeah uh, sign up for those I, you, you know before before you snap off because i know what's about to happen i want to thank all of our sponsors honestly everybody who has stood behind us and helped us out well, nor'easter game calls he's down there right now he's hanging out custom game calls so on and so forth he, he didn't is know he's everything. gonna have to come down here and work for yeah us. <laughs> right so nor'easter game calls he's giving away a ton of giveaways uh we have Latitudes uh, Outdoors, they gave us a ton of great stuff to give away. We're giving away a saddle down there. Uh, Bow Fishing Magazine, uh, Vital Ground Outdoors, Mr. Matt, he's sitting over there in the corner. Uh, his Am Steel Man, it's, it's the best in the business. Uh, who else do we have? Um, Huntworth. Yeah, Huntworth. We're giving away some Huntworth gear, tops, bottoms, uh, probably some of the best camo. Uh, it's, it's, it's half the price of that big box store. With camo with 90 percent performance yeah of the big box it's, a, it's an amazing product um and who else do we got down there hmm get a little bit from mob squad mob squad well that's the bowfishingmagazine.com bowfishing i think there's a spy point up for grab not there's sponsor, a spy point yeah not there. sponsored they're down there captain <laughs> sport fishing helping <laughs> us out we gave away we're giving away a ducks on the bay with ducks on the bay from danny and we're also giving away a captain says sport fishing thing down there so we can't thank those guys for making this all possible and being here absolutely so if you guys have questions, like I said, swing by. Happy to walk you through it. We'll have a good time doing it. And until then, thanks for showing up. We appreciate you, and thanks for taking the ride right here on the Outdoor Drive.